fellow Oreos, and welcome to another episode of the So-Called Oreos podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rachel Fowler, and in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, I have a special guest with me today, Shay Williams. Shay Williams understands that reaching out for help takes courage, not because she's a licensed therapist, but because she has been there. From personal experience and with generational trauma, domestic violence, and social injustices, Shan knows how valuable help can be. She utilizes her experiences and expertise to help women and marginalized populations heal from trauma, enhance their self-care needs, and nurture growth from the inside out. Shay has practiced within the field of mental health over, for over seven years. She has obtained a BS in psychology, MS in psychology, and an MA in counseling. She also is a self-care specialist and educator. She strives to break generational cycles of trauma to build healthier individuals, families, and communities. Outside of her work as a trauma therapist, Shay is married with two children in Atlanta, Georgia, and is a serial entrepreneur with businesses based on helping other mental health professionals to improve their critical writing skills and helping individuals express their self-care through a self-care apparel line. Hey, Shay Williams, welcome to the So-Called Oreos podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Um, so let's, let's get into this interview. I wanted to know a little bit more about your story and why you chose to study psychology. Well, I, when I was younger, I never thought I would be a counselor at all. Like I had my eyes set on being a pharmacist. I just knew I was going to be a pharmacist. I was like picking out colleges based on, you know, that major. And then once I finally got into college, um, I got to my first like intro to psychology because I think everybody has to take that like as a core core class. So I get in there and I am just blown away. I am like giddy, happy, like a kid in a candy store, like all the information I'm learning. And then I'm like, I am changing my major. <laughs> and then of course my parents are like, what? And then I'm getting people around me like, but what about, you know, being a pharmacist? And I was like, whatever. Um, I want to learn about what people do, why people do what they do. And so, you know, I kind of started there and then I didn't necessarily think I still was going to be a counselor. I was just like, well, I'm going to major in psychology and maybe I'll become a teacher or I'll become like something else in the field. Like I didn't have my sights like just on being a counselor at first. But then I had the opportunity to then dive in. I did get my master's in psychology because I just really like learning. Like that's something about me that has always been constant is that I love to learn. I was a nerd in school growing up, um, uh, just like to soak up information. So um, I was like, I'm going to stick to this. I really like this topic. I don't know where I'm really going with this, but let me see. And so I went and got my master's in psychology, finally got out to the field to start, you know, putting my skills to test of what I've learned. And so when you get started out first, like where you don't have an official license, I was like a paraprofessional. So I was going into the communities and teaching people just skills, like basic skills on like to be effective or better in their lives. Um, like just communication boundaries, you know, 
making sure their schedules or routines are together. And then I was like, I really like this. And I was like, so I was like, well, what do I need to do to really dive into the deeper stuff? Because just doing the skill-based stuff wasn't enough. So I was like, well, my other degrees didn't qualify for me to be an official, like a licensed counselor. So I had to go back to school (laughs) to um, become a licensed counselor. So I had to go get back for my second master's. But on this journey to getting that degree, I was like, you know what? I've been through domestic violence. I've um, been through childhood abuse, uh, mental, emotional. um, And of course, being Black and being profiled with racism in this country, I was like, you know what? I really want to help my community because as I was doing my paraprofessional work, I noticed that a lot of Black women came up with a lot of childhood trauma. Um, more so sexual abuse was like almost the number one story that kept coming up. So I was like, you know what? I need to do more to help my community. And so I went back, I got my license. And then, you know, once you get, you're kind of thrown out into the field. And then I was like, well, I need to get a niche because when you come out of counseling and you come out of um, your master's program, you don't come out necessarily with a niche. So you kind of come out as like a general practitioner. So I was like, you know what? I really need to dial down into my skills. And so I was like, you know what? Let me help these women that are, um, you know, grieving or having difficulties because of all this childhood trauma. And I really want to figure out how I can help them heal. And so on that journey, I slowly became the trauma heal her where most of my clients are women of color. Um, between, I say most of them are like coming right out of high school, like about 20 years old and early 30s. So that's my age range that I typically see. Um, a few men have been coming my way lately. Um, so I've been adjusting to that, but my, my base is mostly women of color between those ages. Wow, um, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for what you do. Thank um, you. Thank you, honestly. Um, so since you mentioned childhood trauma and how it, a lot of women, especially in the African-American community, um, suffer, are still suffering from trauma from their past and their childhood, um, can you kind of help us understand um, like, some, what are some ways someone can heal from their childhood trauma, especially adults who haven't really confronted that trauma from their past and are realizing why am I... Uh, why do I have so much anger? Why why am I why do I have anxiety? Why am I um, dealing with things that I can't really understand? Right. Um, you can explain like how can someone heal from that? Well, I think a lot of it first becomes comes from self awareness. Um, a lot of times, people don't realize that past trauma can be connected to current symptoms. Um, I know there's a huge study that was done. I can't give you the exact years, but I actually finished reading a book on it um, that talked about um, how like it can help and impact or they call it also childhood trauma is also synonymous with uh, developmental trauma, meaning that trauma that's occurring in early stages of childhood, like maybe under five. And so a lot of times we don't realize that trauma can also be correlated to um, medical problems. Um, It has been shown 
um, studies have been done and there's like, you know, fibromyalgia, um, arthritis, um, chronic pain, or some people have anxiety and then they go to the doctor and they're like, the doctor's like, I'm not finding anything. This is not, this is symptom somatic. This is not anything going on in your body. All your tests came back clear. And so I hear that a lot from clients that I see and they're like, you know, I don't know why I'm angry all the time or where my anxiety is coming from. And a lot of people don't understand about childhood trauma or developmental trauma is that trauma can literally get stuck in our body. And when something like that gets stuck in our body and lives there for a really long time, it can affect us um, with medical symptoms um, and mental symptoms, mental health symptoms. So um, I think being self-aware is the first step to understanding, um, you know, and like saying like, hmm, like maybe I should dig a little bit deeper into why I'm so angry or why I can't let things go or um, why I'm just sad all the time or, you know, why I'm having all these symptoms and the doctor's not finding anything. Um, so being, you know, I tell women like you're when you're brave enough or courageous enough to even take the first step to say, I need help. I don't know where to start. Let me see if I can find the counselors just to start small, like take a baby step. Um, Cause you know, this trauma happened over time or it happened a long time ago. So it's going to take time to heal. So the first step is being aware and wanting to get help. Um, and then seeking out that help and what and finding out what that would look like for you. Growing up in a Haitian household, going to therapy was looked down upon. In my household, it was looked down upon. And sometimes you're going through something and you want to talk to someone. So how can we reduce the stigma of mental health and talking to a therapist, especially in the African-American community? Um. I feel like we're on the way of doing that. I've, the most of the clients that I see are in that age range, early 20s, early 30s. Um, that stigma has already started to break with them. It's the older generation, like right above, like my parents' age, um, I would say about 60s and up or late 50s and up, um, where some of them ex are accepting, some of them are not, because we all, well, most of us, I can't say talk for all of the Black community, but, you know, I often hear the whole what stays in this house, what says what goes on in this house stays in this house. Um, you know, we don't need no help from nobody. We're going to do it all on our own. You be strong. Um, and so that was that, that statement was unfolded in all of most of our lives. And so now we're at a point where, well, how do we break the stigma with the, the generation now, but also the older generation? Um, and I think it become, comes from a lot of education to, um, well, understanding both sides of the, the coin. Because me and my husband have this conversation a lot about how the older generation they were probably scared to talk to other people because they didn't want nobody in their business. They didn't want defects coming in, breaking up the family. Um, so I looked at it at that point of view, but also knowing that we have more um, African-American therapists 
Um, my colleague, she's um, from Haitian. She's of a Haitian descent. So she, a lot of her clients are of Haitian um, ethnicity. So it's like we have, I feel like we have more allies, allies in the mental health field now. Um, so knowing that we do have people of color that are practicing, but also knowing that it's okay to talk to someone that isn't your family or isn't your best friend to get professional help because we've all been trained to do just that um, without, we're not biased. We're not going to take sides. Um, we want to be there for the best interest in helping you. So breaking the stigma is to me all about getting education, but also education about what the um, mental health professionals can do, but also being open to doing something different. Because, you know, the old saying goes, is if we keep doing the same thing over and over again, then we're going to get the same results. Um, so doing something different by going to a mental health professional can help get you different results, positive results even. So um, hopefully by just being open and understanding what it can do and help with and understanding that also there are more black mental health professionals out there can help continue to break that stigma. What can one expect when um, they're ready to talk to a therapist? Um, so what, what should patients look for in a therapist and what can they expect at their first therapy session? Um, first and foremost, looking for someone who is licensed. Um, there are different types of counselors. There are those that work in the church and they may call themselves a counselor, but they may not be licensed as a mental health professional. Um, so they may work. I can't speak for those that work in clergy and are counselors themselves. But in my field, we do have to go to school. We have to do, um, you know, go to a master's program. And then after we come out, either you can look for an associate's counselor, meaning they're still under supervision. Or you can look for somebody who's fully licensed, who's not under supervision. Um, so making sure that they're licensed first and foremost. Um, thinking about who you would be most comfortable talking to. Um, you know, people may be comfortable talking to someone of the opposite gender or the opposite um, race as they are ethnicity. But if you want someone the same gender, so if you're, you know, a woman and you're like, oh, I would prefer a woman counselor or I would prefer a black counselor, um, thinking about some of those and um, thinking about who you would feel mo most comfortable with. Um, also, finding a counselor that will fit what you need. Because like I said, we don't all come out with specific topics that we work on, um, but there's a lot of counselors who are now become specialized. So for me, it's trauma, anxiety, and depression. And I'm starting to work a little bit more with people with OCD. But um, some other counselors, like if you come to me and you say you need alcohol treatment, I'm going to send you somewhere. So we're someone to someone else, I'm sorry. And um, or if you have like an eating disorder, I'm going to send you to someone else. So that's not what I specialize in. So there's like, just like there's different medical medical doctors that specialize in different things. There's different mental health professionals that also specialize in different things. So thinking about that too, like if you like are dealing with childhood trauma or depression or anxiety, 
you want to find someone that is able to help you in that manner. Um, also finding someone who just fits your style. Um, there are some therapists that are really direct. Is that something that works for you? Or do you want someone who's more guiding and helps you to, you know, just kind of take things a little slower? Um, every therapist has their own style of how they do therapy. Um, so finding someone you can do a lot of counselors do offer like maybe 10 or 15 minute consultations just so you can understand their flow and what to expect in the first session. Um, and you know, how long will this take me or how many other clients have you helped that are, um, dealing with the same things I am, um, are some of the things to look for. Um, are you using insurance and who takes your insurance? Um, or are you willing to pay out of pocket? So thinking about some of those things that I tell people that finding a counselor is like finding a good pair of shoes. So if those shoes don't fit the first time, don't be discouraged to go look another. Um, I've heard that a lot of times where people will find a therapist, they'll quit them, and then they won't go back to therapy for years. And then they'll come back and then they're like, I'm going to try this again. But don't let that discourage you just because that therapist didn't fit for you. You go try the next therapist to see if they'll be a better fit. Because um, just like every human or people or us as a society, we have different friends that fit who we are. And you can find a different therapist that will fit who you are. Yeah, it, it was hard for me to find a therapist. Um when I was in New York, I had a therapist and I went to him for a couple of sessions and I realized that it wasn't working out. Um, it just wasn't for me. So now that I've gone through that process, now I know what to look for in a therapist and making sure that they're certified and um, also making sure that they're, they meet the, my needs and, and the things that I'm struggling with that they're able to help me with. Okay, so let's talk about relationships. What are some key points in having a successful relationship? Relationship, not only romantic relationships, but relationship with your children, your friends, family, and having that bond and understanding and being able to communicate. You know, what are some things that we can do to strengthen those relationships? Um one thing that I always encourage people to remember when relating to anyone or being in a relationship or um, knowing that other people are individuals and we can't make them do anything. Um, a lot of people come and sit on my couch and they're like, I'm in counseling because the other person that should really be here is not on this couch with me. <laughs> and so I laugh about that because that is like, I think that said all like almost 80% of the time I hear that, like they should be here with me. My mom should be on this couch. My dad should be on the couch with me. And I'm like, well, they are not. So let's talk about how we can enhance that your side of the relationship versus there. Cause we can't make people do or say, or believe or have our same morals or values. So understanding that first helps a lot of people put things in perspective that, you know, even though we think X, Y, Z needs help, they can only go get help when they're ready as well. Um, so uh, helping clients understand that one. Two, um, communication is huge in any relationship because um, communication can either make the best of things or make things even worse. Um, my big 
tips to give people is to never assume what the other person is thinking um, because that can cause an argument very quick. Um, so don't assume. Um, secondly, um, I tell my clients, like, I think I do this about 99% of the time as well, use I statements. And I statements are like starting that conversation off with I versus you. When you start off with you, you're blaming people off the bat. I don't care what comes after you. They're ready. They got the defense up. They're ready to come back and defend. They're not, you know, they got the fist up. They are not listening after you say you. They're like, well, I'm going to prepare my defense statement right now. You can say you, what have I done? You know, and so people aren't listening to listen. They're listening to respond very quickly. So I encourage people to use I statements more than they say, like, well, you blah, 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 blah. Say, like, I feel or I am upset because, like, you know, I still use I and then a feeling word to express how they are feeling in that moment and why. And then you may come in behind with, you know, what that other person may have did to make you feel that way, but at least have some ownership over how you are feeling. Um, and then also validating how the other person feels. Um, and this goes for all relationships. I know parents growing up, um, children are the seen and the seen and not heard. So we didn't really have a big, of, I didn't, well, I can't speak for everybody. Um, my experience, I didn't have that big of an opinion. And when I tried to have an opinion, it normally went sideways. So um, I let my children have a platform to tell me what they want or need. It doesn't always mean that I let them just run wild, but I'll ask them like, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? You know, to just kind of get them, because I'm not going to force them to do anything that they don't want to do. Um, maybe chores and, you know, cleaning up around the house. That's, that's the goal. Like that's like standard. But if they don't want to go to see a family member with me, you know, I'm not going to make you go visit somebody that you don't want to go see. Like, what is that? Um, so like, or I'm not going to make you hung, hug, hug the aunt or uncle or whatever and make you feel extra uncomfortable. So listening to what my children really want and, you know, and also understanding their boundaries. Everybody has boundaries. Um, children have boundaries. So we as parents have boundaries. Our, parent, our parents have boundaries. So everybody has boundaries. And we need to learn that boundaries are for us, that individual. They are not for anybody else but us. And boundaries help protect our space and our peace. And I get people to understand that. But we are the ones that have to enforce that boundary. And we have to also understand and respect other people's boundaries and what they need or um how they desire to be treated. So that's where I think are the big things when it comes to relationships is basically um, boundaries, communication, and understanding that people are individuals and we cannot make them do anything that they don't want to do. I agree. I, I think it's important for parents to understand that their children do have feelings and it's important to talk to your children and see what they're going through. And um, like you said, like children are seen 
and not heard in, in most households. And I can, I can attest to that. So thank you for, for bringing that up. Cause I think that is very, very important. And I hope to, you know, one day when I do have children to, um, express that to them and let them know that, Hey, it's okay for you to talk about your feelings. Let me know that, you know, you're you're mad or you're, you're sad. Um, let me know what's going on with you. Yeah. That's very important. Okay. So there's a stigma behind medication when one is diagnosed with a mental illness and it can also be fear or just them not understanding, you know, why they need to take the medication. And it also can be the side effects, you know, some people just don't like the side effects of certain medications. So how do you know when to prescribe someone with medication? Um, I think, well, I can't prescribe because I'm a therapist and there's a difference. Um, psychiatrists are the ones that um, do uh, subscribe that type of medication. Uh, but we talk about that when it's time to possibly explore those options. Um to see a psychiatrist to get medication. And I do explain that to them if they are worried about that in the very beginning, we'll touch on it or we'll touch on it later. But I normally say like, let's, well, I can't speak for every therapist again. I say, no, well, let's try to see how talk therapy goes first or my other modalities that I utilize. Let's see how it goes first. Um, I do let them know that sometimes um, things like depression, um, OCD, or other symptoms may be genetically embedded in you, or you may have a chemical imbalance, which is causing you to feel a certain way. And so if we don't really see any progress over a certain amount of time, um, or things just seem very stuck for them, you know, I say like, hey, let's see if medication may be an option for you. Um, a lot of times people don't want to do medication, um, but I do let them know that it could help. It could be an assistance. It's not necessarily the answer, but it can and help enhance your healing. Um, it's, and a lot of people are ashamed because of the stories they may have heard. Um, I always hear people tell me that their medication may have made them feel like a zombie um, or they may be called out from it from family or friends, like, oh, you're taking crazy pills. Um, and so I think that's where I just let my clients kind of hang out for a second to help them be educated about what medications can do, but also finding the right psychiatrist that's going to listen to them. Um, same as how they found me and they're comfortable with me. I want them to find a psychiatrist that they're comfortable with as well um, to help them on that journey, because I like it when they can find a psychiatrist that um, is able to answer all of their concerns or takes it slow and um, helps them find the right medication for them. I do help my clients understand before going that route is that this may be a trial and error process. Um, and it may be a little longer with medication because medication reacts differently with each and every individual. So it may take some time for your body to get used to it. And having a good psychiatrist on your side to help you understand the ebb and flows your body may go through, your side effects, how long it takes, and also 
having someone that listens to you is important. If you're having a side effect that you don't like and your psychiatrist continues to push this medication on you, maybe that's not the psychiatrist for you. Um, so I have that talk with them about what the pros and cons could be, but also more so how it can enhance if um, what I'm doing with them isn't working. Um, so that's where I start with them to help break that stigma. Cause I think a lot of things that help any type of stigma stick around are myths or fear. So I think that becomes an education and understanding and also other people's breakthrough stories of how mental health therapy or psych or seeing a psychiatrist has helped. Them. What are some holistic practices that you use with your clients? Holistic may be different, but um, pertaining to what therapist you go to. Um, since we're therapists, we can't do medical things unless your therapist does have that medical background, proper licensing and certifications. But holism or holistic practices, in my opinion, for when I approach my clients means I'm treating the whole you, meaning I'm getting into what your self-care routine is like, um, sleep, and then we're diving down deeper into that self-care, meaning sleep, social relationships. What is your environment like um, financially, career? So I'm deep, diving deep in that manner, but I'm also um, holistically going to talk about, you know, what are your medical issues and do we need to refer you to other providers to help create a more balanced treatment plan for you? Um, because you may need a massage therapist that you're comfortable with because you may have experienced sexual abuse in the past, or, um, even if you're interested in Reiki, and you want to see a Reiki provider, I'm planning actually to get um, trained in that later this year so that I can help my clients from that perspective. So I think it just depends on what therapist you speak to about what they can offer. Because some people, some therapists do um, embed other practices such as Reiki, or they may be a nutritionist um, and they may embed that into their practice, or they could be a, um, another type of healer. I don't know if there's any dual massage therapists and mental health therapists out there, but um, it just depends on what they can bring into the table. For me, I bring um, that self-care aspect, but also I bring um, a brain, I call it a brain body approach when I use other modalities to help you um, get past that thinking part of your brain to dive deeper into your subconscious. And so that's, those are some of the tools that I also use with my clients that have dealt with trauma so that you necessarily don't have to talk about the whole story, but we can get to that part of your body that holds that trauma in your brain to help start that process to healing. So I think it just depends on what therapist you're looking for and how they define holistic practices or what different depth do they bring to it other than talk therapy. For me, exercising is vital for my mental health. I feel less stressed, less anxious, more happier, full of energy. I feel like I can conquer the day. So can you explain to us how important exercising is for our mental health? Oh, yeah. Um, some therapists even offer what they call walk 
walk and talk therapy, which is very interesting. Of course, they explain to you the um, risk of that is that, of course, other people might hear your business, but they probably try to find somewhere to walk that's more secluded. Um, so that could be another way to integrate a different aspect of therapy. But I go over all that. Like, are you, I ask my clients, are you exercising? Because studies have shown that um, I think it's about 30 minutes a day is equivalent to taking medication. Um, so there are research articles and all that to back that up that I tell them like, hey, getting out, eating healthier, um, exercising, having a social life, um, even volunteering, all of those things, you know, how satisfied are you at work? What is your environment like at home? Um, financial career. So I dive into all of those things that have to do with wellness and self-care to make sure my clients are taking care of their bodies. Because if they're not, then, you know, therapy may not only be scratching the surface if you're not able to really um, take care of you because then you're tired or you're exhausted um, or you're just not getting the energy that you need. And exercise has been thoroughly shown to help combat depression, um, and help people feel a little bit better. Okay. So let's talk about terms like depressed and anxiety. I feel like today, in today's society, we loosely use those terms and it can be harmful. It can also, you can hurt someone's feeling by just saying, oh yeah, like she's depressed or she's crazy. Can you explain to our listeners how that can be harmful? It can be harmful because we could be possibly diagnosing yourself with the wrong stuff. Like um, mental health professionals have been diagnosed. I mean, not diagnosed, have been trained to diagnose people properly. Um, But diagnosing yourself could be dangerous um, because then you could be looking for your own treatments, either self-medication or your own treatments to something that you may or may not have. Um, Of course, being aware of the symptoms are a good thing um, to know what to look out for when it's time to get help. Um, I've had clients coming in telling me that they have depression when in reality they have PTSD. Um, Or they may say they're anxious, but it could be another underlying issue because a lot of mental health disorders, unfortunately, they um, may overlap one another. And so that's where I tell my clients that it may take me, even though um, I see them for an intake assessment, it may take me a few sessions to arrive at the proper diagnosis for them. I feel that diagnosis, diagnosing a client, does it can't be done also in one session. And that's why I feel like it's done over a period of time. Um, so I'll tell them, like, if I feel like your diagnosis changing, is changing, I will discuss that with you. Um, we'll talk about that, you know. So I get into all that with my clients. That's why normally I don't give them like a really crazy diagnosis off the top unless I have a, I have a few like if they've gone to seeing their own psychiatrist and they know what their diagnoses are, then I'll, you know, record that for my record. But I don't just 
give out diagnoses like candy. That is not what I do. I want to get to know my client because a lot of diagnoses, they can look like um, things like depression and anxiety, like sometimes overlaps a lot. And so trying to help my client figuring out, well, which one is it? Or do you have both? Um, what is the right treatment modality to handle this? And now that I know what you have or what we're working with, but self-diagnosing can be um dangerous in a sense that you may be treating yourself for something you don't have or you do have or you could have a whole another diagnosis altogether and also diagnosing other people can be dangerous too because then that person may have to walk around with that stigma for the rest of their lives like well my mom always said I was crazy or my mom always said that I was depressed or I needed help and I don't know, you know, and they could just follow them into adulthood. And then they're like, you know, thinking that they have something that they may or may not have. <laughs> yes. So please get off of WebMD. Do not self-diagnose yourself. Speak to a mental health counselor or a therapist. So I want to close with this question. I listened to Oprah's Super Soul podcast, and it's one of my favorite podcasts, one of the topics that her and her guests talk about frequently is the art of healing. How can we practice forgiveness so we can heal ourselves? I would say forgiveness starts with yourself. A lot of times people have the hardest time with being compassionate towards themselves. Or we, we tend to be our own worst critic. Like we tend to beat up on ourselves and we tend to just say nasty things about ourselves that we believe. And then we become so hard on ourselves that we can't make any progress. Well, being forgiving of yourself, you can start teaching yourself of how to do that within like, Oh, I made a mistake. I can forgive myself for making that mistake and moving forward. So I think it would start first with, from within to help you then practice it towards other people um understanding that forgiveness is not for that other person you don't have to go tell that other person that you have forgiven forgiven them um but it helps in the process of letting something go you may not forget i tell people forgiveness is not for forgetting we know that that person may have wronged you there's some injustice there um but what you can do is let go of that um, through forgiveness. So like, you know what? Me holding this is holding this person or this injustice done to me in my mind. That starts controlling what you do and say day to day. It's like you're letting that person rent space in your head. And so not allowing that person or experience rent that space in your head can be so relieving. Um, for example, when I was in my domestic violence situation um, and I finally left that situation, moved out, um, and I was able to forgive him, it felt like a ton of bricks was lifted off my shoulder and then I could move forward in my own life. And yeah, I remembered what he did to me. I didn't forget. I'm not going to like 
let that, I was like, I ain't gonna let this happen again. I'm gonna make sure that I'm aware and, you know, try to do my best before I hop in a relationship with someone to be a better judge of character. But it was a teaching moment for me. I took my experience as a teaching moment and then it helped me to move forward and forgiving him and then moving on to be better and not being so blind as to letting that happen again. Um, but forgiveness, it can be slow. It can take time um, because you're really hurt. And But, you know, having that willingness to just step out there and, you know, you know what? I want to figure out how to forgive and taking your time to do that, what that will look like for you. Because it looks like some people might be able to forgive in a day. Some people may need more time. And that's okay. I say forgiveness isn't necessarily like a step-by-step process. Um, because we could get angry all over again and then we're holding on to it. And then some days we might get into a point of, you know, like forgiving, but it might take some time to truly reach that level of like, I'm done, you know, with that person or situation controlling my thoughts or my feelings and I can move forward. But I would say it begins within yourself first and then, um, you can express that outward to help you heal and move forward with your own life. Shay, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for all that you do in the African-American community. Thank you for your services. So where can I followers find you on social media? On uh, Facebook and Instagram, it's the same handle, Trauma Heal Her. So instead of E-R at the end of heal, healer, it's H-E-R. Um, so trauma healer, all one word, no spaces. And then um, my website is shaynicole.com, S-H-A-E-N-I-C-O-L-E.com. Thank you, Shay Williams, for joining me on this week's episode. And thank you all for listening. Don't forget to follow us on all social media at SoCal Oreos. And you can email us at SoCalOreos at gmail.com. Also, fill out our new survey. It's on all our social media. Please, please, please don't forget to fill out that survey. Also, you can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. Please remember to like, rate, subscribe, and leave a review. Until then, bye!